Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. America's immigration policies established by law and executive order can be complex with bans on travelers from certain countries, immigration and customs enforcement in high gear. The status of millions of documented and undocumented immigrants is uncertain. What's the local impact of national policies? With me in studio now is a man who worked on immigration issues for the Departments of Justice and Homeland Security. He has also prosecuted terrorists for the U.S. government. Javad Kazeli is now a St. Louis immigration attorney. And also with us is Sadiq Mohammed. He is a Somali student at St. Louis University and a soccer star at SLU. He is seeking asylum in the U.S. His status is described as shaky. Nice to have you both with us. Thanks for having us. Javad, let me begin with you. Um, what is the impact right now on the immigrant community and refugee community here in St. Louis uh, of these national policies that we're going through? I think the amount of uncertainty that's out there is causing, I think the best way to describe it is terror. We've seen a fundamental shift in how people are being treated, where under the Obama administration, we saw record numbers of deportations. But that was a very targeted type of action where President Obama directed immigration officials like me, my wife was with um, Homeland Security at the time, to focus on cases where people are violent criminals, gang members, convicted felons. And that's what was seen large numbers of those people. Now that's very much changed. Right now the focus is on getting rid of people as quickly as possible. And what we're seeing is, especially in the St. Louis community, there are large groups of people who have gone through immigration proceedings and have been put on something called an order of supervision, where every year they get background checks and they've been here for years legally allowed to work and have just been deemed not a threat, contributing members of society and allowed to stay here, hoping that immigration laws will change. Those people now are getting their orders canceled. I think you spoke earlier about the case of the man who's seeking refuge in Maplewood. Yeah. Things like this, people who have, who have been vetted previously, now they're being told, nope, you're the easiest people to deport. We're going to get rid of you immediately. Um, a few weeks ago, I had one of my clients who's been here for over a decade cleared, gone through background checks from Bosnia, and they had to return. No criminality, nothing. Don't we have to point out, however, that record numbers of people were deported during the Obama administration? For sure. And that yeah. was targeted. That was very targeted. It was record numbers of people. Um, record numbers of cases were closed, too. The government looked at cases and determined, these are people who are priorities for us. Mm -hmm. And record numbers, and those were the people that they went after criminals, the people who I think would really be considered bad hombres without um, adopting the term. But at the same time, cases were also vetted to say, hey, these people are contributing members to society. We're going to close their cases. Mm -hmm. That's totally flipped under this administration. Now it seems to be that those people who were previously vetted, well, they're the easiest people to take away those um, that discretion from and to kick them out of the country, even though the Bush administration, the Obama administration, the Clinton administration put them through background checks. These people are working legally. They have family. They have roots in our society instead of going after the bad guys like Obama did. Sadiq, what is your status right now? Um, I'm still like waiting my decision to be like man. So um, 
I don't really know. <laughs> it's a confusing right question for him because of the delays. We filed an asylum application for him over three years ago. And it took two years to get an interview. We did the interview last summer. Everything went well. I mean, Sadiq's case is one of the best documented cases I've ever seen. He's one of the victims of exactly what we're afraid of, Islamic terrorism. Al-Shabaab in Somalia targeted him and his fellow soccer players. There's been a movie made about him, Sports Illustrated. But we finished his interview last July and we haven't heard anything, which is fairly unprecedented. We believe that he's been caught in these new extreme vetting background checks that the president has said that are taking place that nobody really knows what they are, how long they'll take. And he's just in a limbo right now. I've seen the movie Men in the Arena and uh, enjoyed it. You and your your, your friend, your uh, fellow soccer player from Somalia, has that helped you at all, do you think, that that film in any way helped you? I mean, for me, it wasn't like really to be in a movie. Like, I didn't really know about anything. When I was in Kenya, I was just playing soccer. And, like, you know, we all had, like, different stories. And, like, for, like, any reason, we always wanted, like, to share our story. And, like, I mean, my objective was never being, like, uh, be in a movie or, like, um, be, but- like, but it made you something of a celebrity. Yeah, it, it does. But to be honest, like, I don't look that side. I look the side of the real story behind the movie that's, like, telling, like, what we really experienced, me and my friend. And, I mean, and I always wanted people to know, like, is it like to be, like, a Somali kid who plays soccer and, like, what our dream is, or, like, what we wanted, like, to be in, like, 10 years or, like, 20 years in our life. What what is life like for you as you await some sort of decision on your status? It's really tough. I mean, you know, like you know, like every day, like I think about it a lot because you don't know what's gonna happen. Like, it's just like going through like um, when you wake up and you don't know what's gonna happen for your future. It's it's really hard. Things are his situation is really unique um, when you talk about the extra hardships going on. Living in Missouri is very difficult for somebody who's waiting for the government to make a decision. With these months and months and almost years of waiting, even though he's got a solid, in my view, slam dunk case, has already gone through background checks at least three times, he can't get a driver's license. He can't qualify for grants to go to school, many scholarships he can't get. He can't even get a loan to make up the difference in funding. And if it wasn't for, you know, Jessica and Jacob, um, who are his host family, who are paying tens of thousands of dollars a year out of their pocket, he would be on the streets. What what sort of a timetable is there for his case? (laughs) That would be great to know. Um, under previous administrations, this case would have been fully vetted by now. And previous administrations where I worked in national security had extensive background checks. Right now, we have reached out, senators have reached out, Congress people have reached out, and we've just been told, we don't know. Even We've even reached out directly to the office that did the case, and they've told us they have no idea how long this could is take. Is there a danger that the government could just step, swoop in one day, pick him up, and send him back? Fortunately, in well, with this administration, you never know. But the laws of the United States are fa- are clear that before that could happen, he would get his day in court. But we can't get our day in court until the 
Department of Homeland Security makes a decision in this case. And they're just sitting on it as they're doing for thousands of people. You know. Go ahead, sir. Um, uh, what surprises me most is that, like, me and my friend, we had, I mean, I feel like we just had the same case. And, like, he's, I, I think he's here for now almost, like, two years and, like, a month. And, like, he has, like, already everything. And, like, I've been here three years. And, like, like the situation, me and him, is a lot different. Like, and it's just the same story. And I don't, that, that's the part that i really surprised with. Yeah, the other person in the movie um, has. Uh, I thought the name is Saad Hussein. Yeah, yes. Um, his case has been adjudicated on a very different timeline, um, and he has already received some of his um, legal status. Mm-hmm. At least that, from what we've been told. What if you receive legal status? What then? Do you stay here? I mean, what what would your plan be if you receive that status? And would it be permanent? So I'll answer the first question about the legalities of it. Once, and as we believe this is a very well-documented case, you rarely get a case where there's a movie made and there's thousands of pages of documents and stories about his teammates being killed, um, international stories. But once the department grants him, depending on whatever timeline it is, a year after that we can apply for him to get a green card, which is a permanent resident, to stay here. Upon his grant, he'll be able to legally work He'll be able to get a driver's license. And then five years after he get his, gets his green card, as long as he has no other trouble with the law and continues to pass background checks as he's done, he'll be able to apply to become a U.S. citizen. And that's your plan? I mean, yeah. I mean, wherever would be safe, that would be great. I mean, for me, it's just like always like, you know, being safe and like getting opportunity to like get education. It's, it's amazing. That's all what I want. You feel safe here. Yeah, I feel very safe here. You've had your own story. Yes. So um, I've got a very unique story. We moved – my parents and I moved to the United States in 1977 when I was two years old from Iran. And the goal was for my dad to get his PhD at Michigan State and then to return to Iran. Two years later, the Islamic Revolution happened and we stayed in the country. Eventually, when I was in second grade, my dad – um, took a job as a professor at SIU Edwardsville, and we moved to the Edwardsville area. At that time, there were almost no Persians, and now he and a lot of his friends worked together, and they had brought a large group of – we've got a large hundreds, if not thousands, of Persians in the St. Louis area. Hundreds of thousands? It's hundreds, if not thousands. Oh. No, hundreds. I think it's probably about 1,500, I would guess. But part of the story was that a relative, when your father became ill, a relative wanted to come into the country and wasn't allowed to. Yes. So my dad um, recently, he passed away on Christmas, um, and he was diagnosed with cancer. And my mom's sister, my aunt, who had been to the country before, passed background checks, come obeyed all the laws and left. She's a widower, um, elderly, was planning on coming to the United States. She, it's very difficult to get out of Iran. She got out of Iran, got permission to leave Iran, went and did her interview. They put her through background checks. She passed all of the background checks. And in the day or two after they told her she passed everything, she mailed in her passport. President Trump passed a rule saying that no Iranians are allowed to come. They... State Department rejected her um, passport, sent it back to her. No specific finding. 
And we've been trying to get her here ever since. My mom wanted her here to help take care of my dad. She never made it for to do that. Um, she never made it for my dad's funeral. She was never allowed to come here. Um, my mother is a plaintiff in the nationwide ACLU lawsuit that is in the Fourth Circuit where the ACLU keeps winning. But still, right now under the policies, a blanket rule with the millions of Iranians in America that no Iranian is allowed to come here unless that person has been vetted to come here as a student or an exchange visitor. No family members, no brothers, sisters, no spouses. Mm. Sadiq, do you have family still in Somalia? Somalia? Yeah, I still have my mom and my sister. Are you trying to get them to come to this country, or could they? I, I, I assume that Somalia is one of the countries that is targeted. Yeah, I mean... First, it's like, uh, I mean, I don't still have status in here. I mean, I would love to see my mom. It's like I haven't seen her, like, for a long time now, and, like, it could take me seven years to see again. And, like, you see that, like, relationship between your mom, and, like, it's really hard. I mean, I see students that, like, all the time talk about how they miss their parents just for a semester. And, like, you can imagine when you don't see your mom for years and... Somebody tell you, like, uh, it could take seven years to see your mom. Yeah, I mean, what, it's really what, hard. What, what are the chances of him seeing his mother in the, no, the next well, years? Under this administration, very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now we're more concerned about Sadiq's stability here mm-hmm. and to get that under control and finally adjudicated. If that means we have to file a federal lawsuit, we'll file one. But it... Specifically, being from Somalia makes it much more difficult. If he had a green card, could he go to Somalia and visit his mother and be assured of coming back? The law would allow it, but I think that, I mean, our whole claim here and what Sadiq has said is it's not safe for him to go to Somalia or Kenya. Um, now, whether he could go to another country and visit yeah, them in a place yeah. where it's, it's safe you know, if he had the means to do that, for sure. But right now, he can't leave the country while this is pending or he gives up his application. I have a caller here who's been very, very patient waiting on the line. He wanted to ask a question that I think perhaps, Javad, you might be able to answer. Tom in St. Louis, thank you so much for waiting. Go ahead with your question, please. Thanks, Don. Uh, it sounds like the problem I have in mind is, is only worsening uh, with this new hostility towards uh, immigrants and refugees. Um, uh, I work in the city where I meet a lot of uh, immigrants and refugees from all different places, and um, uh, their problems are numerous and complicated. And because they don't have cultural competency here yet, uh, they often don't know where to turn for help when they deserve some help, like with landlord problems or learning English, uh, you know, getting kids into good schools, uh, all these things. And um, my concerns that uh, if if new families don't find help and get solutions to these problems, they could become part of the sort of permanently poor, you know, groups. And uh, like they have in uh, the North Africans and France and some, some of the Turkish communities in, in Germany, uh, where they don't assimilate into the economy and, you know, learn, uh, get into a situation of intergenerational poverty. And it seems like the, the helpers are such a patchwork here in St. Louis. Uh, the people that I've met have no idea where to turn for help as immigrants and refugees. And I'm just wondering, 
Uh, I imagine with less federal support, that situation is getting worse, and I just wonder what's going on there. Thank you for calling. Yeah, I would agree. Um, One of the statistics that really blows my mind in a metropolitan area as large as St. Louis is, and this is just purely about the immigration law, Um, the previous um, guest talked about the MICA project. MICA project is one of the organizations that helps pro bono and low bono um, legal work on immigration issues. Between the MICA Project and two other organizations, they're the only ones that do just immigration legal work. There are six pro bono, low bono immigration attorneys in the St. Louis area, and this summer three of them will be on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where we are. When it comes to the patchwork of other holistic um, providers, the first place to go is the International Institute. And I'm on the board of their Community Development Corporation. But the International Institute gets much of their funding from the federal government for acclimating refugees. But the number of refugees coming into this country has basically come down to almost nothing, which means that the funding that the International Institute gets for their refugees, which then also helps them work with other immigrants, that's gone down. So there is a patchwork. Recently, Arch City Defenders, who we work with, has slowly begun to put resources over there because they've seen the need. But absolutely, this should be a priority for both the city and the county. You know, it's no small irony in the fact that uh, through the Mosaic Project here in St. Louis, they're trying very, very hard to increase the immigrant and refugee population because they bring business and, and the economy is assisted greatly by their very presence here. And at the top end of the government chain, they're trying to slow that down. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen – imagine what – with the exodus of people from St. Louis and we've seen – a slow resurgence um, coming back of some of the younger people, especially in the tech industries. But what would have happened to St. Louis, especially the city, had we not had the influx of Bosnian refugees 20 years ago? I mean, they saved large parts of the city. And we have a lot, you have Cherokee Street, which is a large Latino um, conclave of people. And that area is growing. Immigrants have been the backbone of St. Louis from the Germans who came to, I mean, we're a city that was founded by two Frenchmen. Um, And that is the future. The cities that you have seen compared to St. Louis that have 10 years ago, we would have said were a tier below St. Louis, who have either caught up or surpassed us, have been cities like Cincinnati and Louisville. And those are cities that have very much embraced the immigrant population and move to bring more immigrants there because they know immigrants start businesses. Those businesses employ U.S. citizens. They grow areas of town that need growth. Um, And you can see that. That's an absolute need of St. Louis. We we only have a minute left. Sadiq, what are you you majoring in at uh, St. Louis University? Uh, Political science. (laughs) <laughs> Do you want to join them or fight them if, you, if you're able to stay? Um, not really. I just like, I mean, there was a class that I took. It was international politics. And I was always interested to really know about like how the systems and the, the, the economies and all of the world works. And like that class helped me. And like, I just, I... I, I want to do, like, you know, political science. You're getting an education in this in the classroom and outside of the classroom, obviously. <laughs> Next step, very, very quickly for, for, for you and for Sadiq. 
So we are looking at our options, and if we have to go to federal court to get the the department to make a decision, we'll do that. Javad Kazeli, thank you so much for being with us. Sadiq, thank you very much for me. Good luck to you. We wish you all the best when this thank process you. that you're going through. Thank you. Thank you. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Don Marsh. <laughs>